Luke chapter 5. Luke 5, this morning we will look at verses 12 through 26 as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. And the title of this morning's sermon is, Who Can Forgive Sins But God Alone? Our key words for our worshipers and training are clean, sin, and Pharisee. Now, so far, through the Gospel of Luke, we've seen several overarching themes that are unmistakably highlighted over and over again. The two primary themes are both present in the text that we're going to examine this morning. The first is this, that Jesus' primary focus in his ministry is for those who are weak and outcast and downtrodden and lowly. We've seen that many, many times already. And the second, that Jesus has great authority and Jesus has great power over all things. The last two times we've looked at this gospel specifically, we have seen this. In fact, beginning in chapter 4 and verse 31, we really started to see this come to clear view. And it's going to continue through the next several chapters as a primary emphasis of Luke's gospel. So Jesus has a great concern for those who are weak and lowly. And Jesus has great power and authority. Now remember, uh, in the days ahead, it's going to be very important for us to recall that Luke is not writing chronologically, but he's grouping events in the life and ministry of Jesus with a specific goal in mind in each grouping. So it's important for us to ask the question, what is the point of him grouping these various events together? Right now, we are in the middle of several instances that Luke is pointing out that really bring us back to what Jesus said in chapter 4 and verse 18. Recall, he is preaching and he he cites from the book of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are Oppressed, And so Luke is giving example after example of what this looks like. Jesus is preaching with authority in a way that no one has ever heard before. Jesus casting out a demon, healing Simon Peter's mother of a fever, and hundreds, maybe thousands of others who've lined up to be healed, each one of whom Jesus lays his hands upon and heals. Jesus also shows his great power in causing a catch of fish for Peter and his business partners and calls them to be his disciples, to be fishers of men. And this morning we will continue to look at the work of Jesus to heal the physically sick and to associate himself with those who were socially and religiously unclean. We will see Jesus' concern for the whole person, not just their physical well-being, but also how it relates to their sin, how it relates to what the the work of Jesus' physical healing points to in the great work of redemption. I'm reminded of the great words of a hymn that we often sing. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Hear him, ye deaf 
His praise, ye dumb, you loose, your loosened tongues employ, ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. He breaks the power of sin. He releases His people from the bondage of sin and Satan and death. His, his blood cleanses the foulest of sinners who throw themselves upon Him. And He gives hearing to the deaf, praise to the simple, a tongue to the mute, sight to the blind, leaping and joy to the handicapped. And this morning we will see restoration to the body and social status of a leper and the ability to get up and walk to a paralytic. The compassionate care of Jesus for the weak and lowly and the great power and authority of Jesus will be on display as we look at the text this morning. We serve a great Savior, don't we? Let's read together in chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, in Luke's gospel, the account of Jesus' interaction is uh, the, the second interaction uh, in his second encounter with someone who is socially ostracized or an outcast. The first, if you recall, was the demon-possessed man in the synagogue in Capernaum. And this will be the last miracle that Jesus performs before a series of events where Jesus finds himself in direct controversy with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, I want you to think about this morning a, uh, about the example of times that you uh, have seen when someone you know has maybe gotten cancer, especially if that person is a part of a church family. All the people they love, what do they do? They rally around them. They care for them. They visit them in the hospital. They care for them in their home. They make meals for them, raise money, give blood, arrange events in their honor. All of this is wonderful. We love to see this and be a part of this. This is caring for and loving others in their time of need and in a season of great difficulty in their lives. But you know, there are other types of diseases. There are other types of ailments that plague the bodies of men and women that don't garner the same response from their community. Every time I go to Nigeria, I visit a place called the Spring of Life Clinic. It's at the hospital in Egbe, where people have traveled some for two days to get their medicines for treatment of AIDS. Many of these people are cast out of their villages altogether. They're avoided by their neighbors. They're disowned by their families. One day they're cared for and accepted, find out they have AIDS, and the next day they're rejected and outcast. It's truly a stark difference 
between the men and women I meet in Nigeria and those who so are so fondly loved and cared for under other circumstances, dependent upon what it is that plagues their body. Now, in the days of Jesus' life and ministry on the earth, those who were rejected and avoided were those who carried leprosy. They were removed from the city, banished outside the gates, and punished by death if they ever thought to enter into the city. Now, leprosy was a very broad term that was applied to a very wide range of skin diseases and not necessarily what we know today as Hansen's disease. But in general, the, disease, uh, the diseases that were considered leprosy created lesions and swollen areas on a person's skin, and they lost feeling in their extremities. They would have no pain receptors, so they would do things that caused severe disfiguration because they didn't know it was causing their body harm. To have leprosy was to face ostracism and to be excluded from normal society. And if we look at the scriptures, we'll see that God's intention in putting those with leprosy outside the gates was not a form of cruel punishment, but for the good of the rest of the people. The disease was contagious. Therefore, God commands in Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, this, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, unfortunately, as we see so often, the people eventually distorted what God had commanded and associated the uncleanliness of the leper with sin. It was assumed that a man with leprosy was a man full of sin and that leprosy was his punishment and banishment from the life of the community was his just reward. Leprosy has been called a painless hell. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote that lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men, dead men walking. And the only thing worse to the Jews than touching a leper was touching a dead body. We can hardly imagine the humiliation and the isolation that the lepers experienced in life. Whenever anyone else came near them, they were to assume a disheveled appearance and let their hair hang down in front of their face. They had to wear torn clothing to cover their mouth with their hand and cry out, unclean, unclean. Think about walking into Kroger or Walmart being obligated through your entire trip to do such a thing. Imagine the sense of of worthlessness and despair, especially if all the people around you who saw you, they didn't have pity, they didn't have compassion, they looked at you with disdain and disgust, assuming it was your own sin. This is your punishment because of what you have done. And while self-righteousness may swell up in the hearts of men who look on others with disdain in their suffering and their disfigurement, the leper is a representative for every saint who falls at the feet of Jesus. Notice in verse 12, Luke tells us the man was full of leprosy. 
and as good as dead. Is this not a picture of our spiritual condition? The Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, You, you were dead in transgressions and sins. You have been infected with the most awful disease imaginable. And it doesn't only gnaw away at your skin and bones, it gnaws away constantly at your soul. And you better believe it's contagious. The sin within us isn't only our burden to bear. It affects our neighbor. It affects our spouse and our children. You see, the leper is a mirror to our own souls. That's what God's command for the leper is all about. Apart from Christ, we are outside the gate and our obligation, even if we recognize our condition at all, is to cry out, unclean, unclean, I am dirty, I am unclean. And to run to Jesus, to fall on our face at his feet and beg of him, Lord, if you will, you can. Make me clean. Lord Jesus, I am broken. I am bruised. I am defiled. I am unclean and unworthy. I am as good as dead. But you can make me clean. Only you can make me clean, Lord, if you will make me clean. And with our face to the ground and our nose in the dust, which is our proper place before the Lord, we feel the outstretched hand of Jesus upon our head. And we hear his tender, merciful voice say, I will be clean. Oh, how great is our Savior. And what happens? Look at the end of verse 13. And immediately the leprosy left him. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus saves us, he does not delay. When the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts and gives us new lives with new eyes to see and new ears to hear, he does not delay. He does not tarry. Instantly, we become new creations, reconciled to God and free from the eternal destruction of sin. Think of the great words we sing. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. Friend, have you been set free from the powerful destruction of sin? Or are you as good as dead? Jesus will set you free. Jesus will make you clean. Now notice in verse 14, Jesus tells the man to tell no one, but instead to show himself to a priest and make an offering as proof. And all of this was in accordance with the law of Moses. In Leviticus 14, we see God's instruction for an elaborate ceremony that extended over eight days to certify someone's being healed of the disease of leprosy. It happens like this. A priest was to be called to meet with the person outside of the camp to verify that indeed they were healed. 
If he was able to verify that they were healed, two birds were presented along with some cedar wood, some scarlet yarn, and with some hyssop. One of the birds was killed in a clay pot so that none of the blood was lost. And it was done over fresh water as a symbol of cleansing. And the live bird, along with the wood and the yarn and the hyssop, was dipped in the blood. And the blood was sprinkled upon the leper seven times as he was pronounced clean. And this initial ceremony concluded with the live bird being released into the open fields to wing its way to freedom. As a result, the blood-sprinkled person could once again join the community. Now, of course, this points us to the effects of Christ's blood, reconciling unclean sinners to God, making it possible for us to join the household of faith. And after the bird's release, the cleansed man washed his clothing, shaved his hair from his body, bathed and entered the camp where he, his family and his friends were called to rejoice for seven days. And on the seventh day, his head, his eyebrows and his beard were shaved off. And he again bathed so that like a newborn, he was ready to enter a new phase of his existence. And on the eighth day, the, form, the former leper offered three unblemished lambs as a guilt offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering. The guilt offering was not an atoning sacrifice, but a restitution for the offerings and sacrifices he was unable to make as a leper. His restitution and fresh commitment were dramatically emphasized when the priest took some of the blood and smeared it on his right ear and on his thumb and on his toe and then coated each smear with a second anointing of oil, symbolizing that the man would listen to God's voice. He would use his hands for God's glory and he would walk in God's ways. And fittingly, he shaves his head and was anointed with the remaining oil. And finally, having, having declared the leper to be in the Lord's service, the priest made atonement for him with sin, burnt, and cereal offerings, the last being a joyous expression of gratitude. Imagine the joy. Imagine the joy of a healed man and his family the communal celebration that accompanied the great eighth day. It was as if a resurrection from dead had taken place. Very likely there was feasting and singing long into the night. Brothers and sisters, for us, for Christians, the Old Testament description of these ancient ceremonies elicits incredible joy, not only because the Scriptures speak of Christ, but because these elaborate ceremonies speak of the atonement through Christ and His power to deliver us from death and destruction and bondage to sin. I hope when you read your Old Testament, you're looking for these things, highlighting the work of Jesus for His people. Now, before we move on, we have to ask Luke a question. Why did Jesus charge the leper to not tell anyone of his being healed by Jesus? What's the point of that? 
Well, obviously, Jesus wanted the man to make it known that he was healed, but the charge was specifically that he not tell of its being Jesus' doing. There may have been several reasons, but given the context of what Jesus does tell the man to do by going through this elaborate ceremony, Jesus is showing his regard for God's law. Remember, Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the law of God, to the civil, the ceremonial, and, of course, the moral law of God. Therefore, it was important that when he healed somebody, albeit a miracle, it was still important for them at this point to submit themselves to the proper steps to achieve the status of clean. The law had to be fulfilled. But we see his charge seemed to land on deaf ears. Almost immediately, everybody knew of Jesus' work. But consider living your adult life unclean, outcast, instantly healed by the Savior. This is not something any of us would be able to keep secret. We see it throughout the Gospels over and over and over again. People being healed and others saying, what happened? Who did this? How did it happen? I don't know how it happened. All I know is that man, Jesus, he he touched me and he healed me and I was made new. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was a leper, but now I'm clean. And as we've seen several times up until now, a crowd comes and they gather around Jesus. Why did they? What was their desire? Luke writes in verse 15, to be healed of their infirmities. Day after day, the people were coming to Jesus to be healed. And so we see verse 16, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus, the man, still drew from the power of God power of the Father. He needed to withdraw and rest and pray to the Father. Now, there are valuable lessons to be learned from the healing of this leper for us. We must come to Christ with a deep awareness of our sins. Do we acknowledge that we are sinners, that we have nothing ourselves to commend us to God? Do we mourn over our sin? If so, are we ready for the healing hand of Christ to be laid upon us? We must bow before Him in humble reverence, our faces in the dust, submitting to Him as our only hope, knowing and acknowledging that if God does not save us, we will be forever lost. Do you believe that He can make the foulest sinner clean? Do you believe that he can make you clean? Let's keep reading. Verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed 
through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Imagine the scene. Jesus is sitting in a room in a home, teaching as the crowd gathers to hear him. Closest to him would have been the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. No doubt at this point, these men had heard many stories about Jesus. And they had, uh, they had to hear from the young rabbi themselves. What could he possibly have to say? What were these people so enamored with in his words? Where does he dr- uh, derive this power to heal? So they would have been sitting at the honored place at the front while the people packed in around them, standing, watching, listening, seeking to get a glimpse of Jesus, straining to hear his words. In Mark's account of the same instance, we learn that there were so many people seeking to hear Jesus that many were even standing outside the door. Can you imagine? Imagine the excitement the rush, the feeling in the room, the electricity. Everyone packed in like sardines, straining to hear everything that they could, amazed at the words proceeding from Jesus' mouth. Meanwhile, outside there were, Mark tells us, four men who were carrying their paralyzed friend on a mat so that he could be healed by Jesus. And they couldn't wait to get him the help that he so desperately needed. Now, in the first century, the roofs of buildings were were flat. And on the outside, there would have been a staircase leading up to the roof because in the summertime, the people would uh, often sleep on the roof to keep cool at night. And so the people are listening intently, and then they hear something. Digging, pounding, cutting. And then all of a sudden, they look up and there's a hole in the roof. And there's a man being lowered down to the ground below. Imagine it. Imagine looking through that hole. You see these men who've just lowered their friend, looking down full of anticipation for what they are about to see. The Pharisees dusting off their robes, all the dust and debris from above. The paralytic man, desperate and longing for something great from the one whom he now sees eye to eye, Jesus, the great healer. There was no doubt in the minds of these men that Jesus could heal. Perhaps they'd seen him do it already. Obviously, they had at least, at a minimum, heard about it. 
They had great faith in Jesus' ability. They trusted that he could and that he would do it. And he does. And he does. Verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now notice that Jesus commends the faith of this man. And it's, and it's here where the significance of Jesus' ministry is revealed in full. One verse we read, and the entire course of Jesus' ministry takes a very significant turn. This miracle of healing that we've seen several times is now combined with a very significant theological pronouncement. Notice, he doesn't tell the man right away, arise and be healed. He doesn't say, you can walk now. What does he say? He says, your sins are forgiven you. I can't imagine how tense the moment is. The best in Hollywood could not completely capture the drama here. Imagine dust in the air, the people packed in tight, sweating and silent and amazed and and in awe. The men looking down from the roof above, the Pharisees and teachers of law sitting there in disdain. And Jesus seizes on the moment to make plain what he has come to do. Man, your sins are forgiven. This was a calculated statement. It was provocative for a reason. Jesus knew exactly what this would mean to the Pharisees as they sat and they listened. Look again at their response in verse 21. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They asked the very question we all must ask, didn't they? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Great question. Who exactly is this man who claims to speak the word of God? The question of the Pharisees is a rhetorical question, of course, because we know the answer. No one, only God can forgive sins. And so Luke is once again drawing us in to see what he has presented all along. This man, Jesus, is no ordinary man at all. And obviously the people knew it. Obviously the Pharisees and the teachers of law knew it as well, or else they wouldn't have been there to hear him from all of the surrounding cities. But they weren't interested in the truth. They were out to find him at fault. Now, Jesus wasn't necessarily implying here that this man was paralyzed as a result of his personal sin, but rather was drawing out the significance of what the man needed most. His greatest need wasn't physical healing, but spiritual wholeness. Forgiveness of sin and being reconciled to God. How useless it would have been to have wholeness of body and still enter into eternity without Christ. So Jesus responds, verse 22, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Wow. That right there is the kind of thing to get you killed in a first century Jewish culture. If you're going to make such a claim, you'd better be right. I imagine Jesus looking at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, looking at them in the face, scanning each one of them back and forth with intent in his eyes, his words piercing directly to their bones. And instead of being moved to worship and awe, they were moved to disgust and outrage. Who is this man? The Son of Man, authority on earth to forgive sins. Who does he think he is? Blasphemy. But for the believing one, we see this for what it is, don't we? In the midst of many miracles, we see the work of the greatest miracle of all. Whoever you are, man, woman, child, whatever you have done, no matter how horrendous, murder, adultery, drunkenness, perversion, betrayal, embezzlement, lying, jealousy, hate, gossip, whatever your sin, whatever your darkest secrets, Christ can save you completely and eternally. As the book of Hebrews says, He is able to heal And to say for all time, those who come to God through him, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the heart of what Jesus came to do. To seek and save the lost. He can do whatever he pleases. He can heal any disease and cast out any demon. But the greatest miracle is the one that is eternal. It is the forgiveness of sin. Has he ever said to you, your sins are forgiven you? The Son of Man has the authority to forgive your sins because he, being sinless, God made to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God the Father took all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt. And if you are his child, he has laid it upon Jesus Christ to take the penalty of that sin for us. We don't deserve it. And apart from the sovereign work of God in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't even want it. But God, being rich in mercy with the great love in which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. Our sins placed on Christ. Christ crushed for our iniquities. His righteousness given to us. We walk in the newness of life. And if you have not believed on Christ... He asked the same question of you that he asked the Pharisees. Why do you question in your hearts? By faith in Christ, trusting in his power, trusting in his authority to reconcile you to the Father, you too can rise and walk in the newness of life. You can rise up from your bed of death and walk with Jesus. We see it in the life of the paralytic man 
Immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I imagined a man, new legs, new heart, running through the streets, crying aloud, I'm free, I'm free. I can walk, I can run, I can dance. My heart is clean, my body is whole, my life is new. I am free. I love, I love to sit with new Christians and hear their stories. I rejected the gospel. I heard it time and time again. I never believed. And then something happened. I don't know what happened. But suddenly when I looked, I once thought something that was foolish is now something that I believe, something I trust, something I love. That's why we say with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. And so here we see Jesus. He's raised the stakes. He's laid the foundation. The path ahead is this, as he answers the question, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus responds, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe this? Do you trust in Jesus with all of your heart? If so, Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven. The paralysis of your hearts and the leprosy of your sin healed, washed away, cleansed, gone forever. You are clean. You are forgiven. And so again I say, how great is our Savior. Amen. Let's pray together. Father of grace, you have made your people whole. Broken, defiled, unclean. In an instant, you quicken our hearts. You shed light into the dungeon and our chains are broken and we walk free. We walk, we leap, we dance for joy because of what you have done in the hearts of your people. Thank you, O God. Thank you for cleansing our leprous hearts. Thank you for releasing us from our paralytic nature of sin that seizes us up and causes us to walk in a life of deadness. Thank you for new life. Thank you for cleanliness in Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us a desire for holiness that we walk with Jesus. Full of desire to honor and love him. Full of a desire to honor and obey your commandments. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who is stricken 
with a soul of leprosy. With a soul that is paralyzed in sin. That you would awaken them from their deadness. That you would give them new eyes, new ears, a new heart, and a new lease on life. That they could spend eternity rejoicing with us in the person and work of Jesus Christ who has created us, who has redeemed us, and who has given us great reason to rejoice forever and ever. Lord, do that for your glory. Thank you.